Cool. All good. Um, oh, cool. So, time for Rivers Kids to go out. You guys can head on out. Cool. I might just pray and then, yeah, we're going to hop into the message for today. So, yeah, Father, thank you so much for all the kids here today. Um, yeah, thank you for the blessing that they are, Lord. And we just really pray that you bless their time um, down learning about you and hanging out. God, would they just get to see who you are and just enjoy each other. So, Lord, would you just really bless those kids, Lord, bless the leaders who are serving them and, and serving us. And, Father, just as we stay and just spend some time in your word, um, would you speak to us by your spirit? Um, would you just lead us and encourage us and grow us together in, in the direction you want us to go? Um, and, yeah, we just ask that you would do the work that you do and just speak into each of our hearts this morning. Just pray this in your name. Amen. Cool. So um, we are continuing the series that we started a couple of weeks ago called The Table. Um, we're going to do this week and then finish it off next week. And it's, it's been a bit different. We've just been spending some time um, doing a little bit more of a topical message and, and talking about this idea of the table actually being quite a central aspect of Christianity that we've kind of lost. Like the early church seemed, their church service seemed to mostly be around a table and it's a lot around eating together and fellowship. Jesus ate with people all the time. We're going to look at a couple of examples of that today. Um, and today we've kind of lost that in some ways. Like church is kind of more about a stage sometimes or we kind of just come to a building and a, and a service. And not that those things are bad, but sometimes we can kind of lose actually what the goal is and that God actually wants to create a community of people who, who he dwells with and who we show his light to the world and, and that actually we need deep relationships with each other, not, not just a, a service where we sort of just face the front. We need life together and an easy way, simple activity that actually grows us together is sitting at a table and eating together. And then we said last week, Actually, part of that is that when we do that, it's actually a celebration. And we're actually a community of joy who celebrates, not because all the problems of the world are fixed. We acknowledge they're not, but that God's kingdom is still here in Jesus. There's things to celebrate that God is working in our lives. And we're actually a community that is to be characterized by joy and celebration. And what we're doing today is kind of continuing to build on this. And again, this idea that something small and seemingly insignificant like eating together is actually really powerful. It's a powerful way to grow together. It's, it's intimate. It's this leveling place where people grow in relationship and, and closeness. But on top of that, it can actually be a really powerful tool and a message to people who don't know Jesus. And we see this throughout the Bible. And because we kind of when we think about food, I think often we kind of think about what we're eating. Like, what, what are we going to get for dinner? Or what's the food going to be? Or is it lunch yet? But and maybe a more powerful question is, who are we eating with? And food is, is awesome and great. But if, it, if it's just food, it's not that powerful. But if it's about being together with others, it can be incredibly powerful. And actually, who we eat with may seem insignificant, but has the potential to be incredibly powerful and transforming. And we're going to see this. I want to look at three examples of this today. Um, 
basically, how do we use food not only as a tool to grow together, but as a tool for God's mission in the world? That Jesus did this. We're going to look at Jesus. We're going to look at the early church and how they did this. And then we're going to spend some time thinking about how we could do this, how we could take something so small and seemingly insignificant and actually see it could be incredibly powerful and transforming. So we're going to look through a couple of passages in Luke. So to start with, I just want to set some context of what it was like in Jesus' day, in first century Israel. So Jesus was Jewish. He came to the Jewish people in Israel. And there was a whole context of a religious environment, a social environment. There were expectations that were there. And this, the, 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 the really quick history right, is that the, Israel is God's people, but they would not been faithful to God. They'd lost their land. God has brought them back, but now they're under Roman rule. So they're in Israel, but they're not free. The Romans are really in charge. And this is not okay. They're not happy about that. The, the, the Jewish people are waiting in hope that God will come again, the Messiah, the true king will come and redeem them, get their freedom and restore Israel, restore this kingdom to the place that it's supposed to have. And there are certain beliefs about how this would happen. And one group of people, the Pharisees, had a belief that if people followed God's law, if people followed the Torah, if people followed the rules, then God would come back. And this was around the moral law, but also around the ritual law and around cleansing. And they had laws about the Sabbath. They had laws about you had to wash your hands in certain ways and only eat certain foods. So eating was a big deal. Who you ate with was a big deal. How you ate, whether you cleaned properly before you ate was a big deal. There were these rules, there were these barriers, there were restrictions around it. And there were some people that couldn't follow those, particularly if you were poor, if you were a leper, you're unclean, you, you, you aren't ritually clean, you don't come to that table, you, you're excluded. And then other people who are sinners or they, they have a, a moral lifestyle, they're not following the rules, they are rejected because they're part of the problem. So people, and these are the people that we'll see Jesus hung out with, people like tax collectors, prostitutes, um, other, other people like lepers, like these people are unclean. They're the problem. We want to get back to this ritual purity is where the Pharisees were at. And the interesting thing is Jesus comes, right, and he breaks those barriers, these, these barriers, these table sort of rules. He breaks them radically and it causes problems. We're going to read through a few passages in Luke. This is Luke 5 verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi, sitting at his tax booth. So again, we sort of hear tax collector and we think that's not a big deal. But tax collectors work for the Romans. So they, they, they're Israelites, but they're traitors of the nation. They work for the enemy. And on top of that, they take more money than's needed often. So they're kind of like thieves and they're corrupt. So people hate them. But Jesus goes up to this tax collector and says, follow me. And Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. So he starts to have this huge party. A large cloud of tax, not cloud, crowd of tax collectors and others who were eating with them. So it's like this big party of tax collectors, right? Like all of his buddies, all of his friends. Again, he may not have had many other friends because they're so despised. So they just sort of hang out and he's got this big party. He's invited Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. So this, this upset them. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus was doing what you're not supposed to do. 
The people that Jesus was eating with were unclean, were immoral. They were not following the right procedures or the right rules around food. Jesus broke this barrier. But Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. By going to this party, Jesus is making a statement. By who he chooses to eat with, Jesus is making a powerful statement that he has come for these people. He's come for sinners. He's come for the broken. He's come for the poor. And, and, and the expectation that the Pharisees had that if we just get it right, if we just do this, Jesus says, no, it's in me and it's for all. Jesus breaks this barrier. Again, there's this well-known story, the story of Zacchaeus, where this happens as well. This is in Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, right? So he's like the tax collector of tax collectors. He, he's, the, he's in charge of them all. So he's incredibly corrupt and, and despised. And he was wealthy on top of that. He was really rich. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached, out, reached the spot, he looked up and said to, Z- to Zacchaeus, Come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down and at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has, be- he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Again, Jesus is breaking the rules. He's breaking the barriers. He's eating with people you're not supposed to eat with. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. This meal with Jesus transforms his life. He leaves transformed. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Again, by going to his house, Jesus is communicating his mission and his message, which is for the lost, which is for sinners, is for the broken, for those who humble themselves. And by by doing this simple act of eating and welcoming Zacchaeus, there's this powerful transformation of life that happens when he realizes that, that God's love, God's grace is available in Jesus. And it, and it was at a meal. It was by eating together. And what we see is that in this context of the first century, Jesus' response to it, to these barriers and these, these, these issues, is he eats with sinners. And he's showing God's grace and love is for all who receive him. This, this meal is a powerful tool of mission and, and, and of proclaiming the good news of Jesus. So we see Jesus do this many, and there's many other times that at, at meals, Jesus offers forgiveness to people. He, he, he's showing grace and love by the people he's around. But we see this as well as something that happens with the first Christians in the Roman Empire. So Jesus lives his life, and then he, the, the, the Jews eventually reject him and crucify him. He dies, he's risen, and now his followers are sent to the world to proclaim this good news, that the kingdom has come in Jesus, that there's forgiveness of sins, that there's eternal life, that, that, that God is in charge, God is redeeming the world. And imagine that, though. There's this small bunch of people up against the Roman Empire, up against the, the rest of the world. And again, they're proclaiming a message that Jesus is the true king. But there's another king, 
Caesar, who's not going to be happy if people start talking about this other king. Like, like this is a dangerous environment that they're in. They're small, probably most of them are poor, not well-educated. How are they going to do this? How are they going to spread this message? And again, this is all empowered by God, by, by his spirit. The Holy Spirit comes. But as we look at history and we look at the, 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 the stories of the early church, the interesting thing is the community that they developed, that a big part of it was centered around eating together and sharing life together, was transforming. It, it was radically countercultural. And this like, huge empire was shifted by small acts of kindness and generosity. Mark says, describes like this, the empire was undone not by a frontal military assault, not by a violent subversive insurgency, but rather by the breaking of the humblest of foods, bread. They met in homes, they shared life together, and they practiced radical um, hospitality. This is how Mike Frost describes it. The message they shared, this is the early church, that God loved the world was patently, that's obviously, absurd to the average Roman. The pagan gods cared nothing for humankind. And yet in the miserable world of the Roman Empire, the Christians not only proclaimed the mercy of God, they demonstrated it. So in this, this society that doesn't care for the poor, that doesn't care for the broken, that, that, that has slaves, they're just mistreated, women can be mistreated, the, the Christians are radically different. They not only fed the poor, they welcomed all comers regardless of their ethnicity. They promoted liberating social relationships between the sexes and within families. The noblemen embraced the slave. They were literally the most surprising alternative society and their conduct raised an insatiable curiosity among the average Roman. The, the, the way the Christians loved each other. And again, they, they, there's, in, it talks about their love feasts. They, they would eat together. They, they would share communion and share this meal. And they would invite the poor. They would, they would invite the outcasts. And there's this radical love and generosity. And then on top of that, their, their willingness to die and, and be persecuted and, and not deny Jesus. And this, this shifted the Roman Empire. Like That's what they were up against. And they shifted it. And this, this was, this again, the, the barriers that were there in the society, um, like slaves and free don't mix. Right? They, you don't sit at the same table and share life and share meals. Um, men and women, they're massive distinctions, rich and poor. But in Jesus, these were broken down. Paul describes this in Galatians. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew or Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And, and this, was, this was radical. In a society that, that there was these ethnic barriers, social barriers, the message was in Jesus we are one. And, and it wasn't that we deny the differences, that there, there are differences, but we're united in love as one. And th this was radical. So we see the first Christians in the Roman Empire, up against this huge empire, they, the response was that they lived this transformational community, showing love to all, caring for the poor, and sharing life around a table. There was small acts of hospitality, generosity, kindness that, that shifted things. There's even this story I was reading about one of the emperors, Julian, who noticed this. He noticed that Christians um, showed generous love and care for the, their own poor people, for other poor people, for, for all 
in the, in the society, and he realized that this was so attractive to people that lots of people were converting. And when they were converting, he was saying that they were becoming atheists because in his mind, the gods were the pagan gods. So if someone's becoming a Christian, they're becoming an atheist. And he says the, the, the hospitality, the acts of generosity are leading people to atheism. And we need to do something about that. This is a big problem. And he goes on this campaign to get the pagan priests and others to start to show the same kind of love and hospitality. Like, we need to care for the poor. We need to show this love in order to stop people going with the Christians. And it failed. It didn't, it didn't work. God was not in it. The, the love that they were showing was by the Spirit. Because Jesus had touched their heart because he was dwelling in them. And, and, but it's amazing that he noticed this. And it, this, this love, this generosity transformed the empire. So what we can do is think, well, what would this look like today? Because 2018 in Australia, we have a massive task. Like, like God has still called us to bring Jesus, to make disciples of all nations to, to share his life and light with all people. And we're seeing major barriers and, and problems in doing that, it's particularly in the West. Um, it's becoming a lot harder to be a Christian. There's becoming more hostility. Um, most churches are kind of slowly dying rather than being vibrant and, and growing with a lot of life. Like, like we're up against a, a, a massive task. And what can we do? I think that there's something we can learn from this idea of just simple acts of hospitality. There's this book I was reading this week that was awesome, very, very short, only costs a few dollars, and it's called The Simplest Way to Change the World, Biblical Hospitality as a Way of Life. And they talk about the, the simple acts of, of inviting people to your home, to your table, eating with people far from God, eating with other believers, and actually sharing life and sharing love, and actually hospitality, again, being this tool that can be a powerful tool for mission. And they talk about, actually, in our culture, we have multiple opportunities to be this, like to break barriers and be different. Like Jesus didn't stay in these, these barriers that were the religious expectations. He broke them and ate with sinners, and that powerfully showed God's love. Like the early church didn't stay in, in these, these barriers of the, the cultural expectations or social expectations. They broke them and it showed God's love and his compassion and his grace. And we have opportunity as well to live different, to live lives that don't look like everybody else's and actually lead to questions and actually show what God is like. One opportunity that he talks about is this idea that of, of, of offering relational depth, um, that in our society today, People are hungry for deep, close relationships, but maybe don't even know it. Uh, increasingly, we are isolated. Um, I, I, there's probably lots of you guys here who have seen this happen slowly over time, but it, over time now, people don't talk to their neighbours. People drive into the garage and the doors go down. Like Kids don't play in the street like they're at home on the iPad. Like, like People are cut off and um, not connected. And there's this, this lack of like just, and even like we're talking about in this series, like just sitting down at a table and eating together today, that's actually countercultural. Like that's not normal um, to, to get people, a random group of people together and sit down and have a meal. But actually we have that to offer the world. That if we're this community, particularly a community that's diverse, that loves each other and grows together, 
And then we're able to welcome people into that. We're able to go and eat with people and open our homes to people, um, meet our neighbours, show love and hospitality. Like There's a, a, an opportunity there to provide the relational depth that people are actually longing for, and people don't even know it. The, 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 the goal and the desire to be known, to be loved, to be cared for. And again, that, that's not easy, right? Like... like our neighbours can be right there across the street, but it can feel like they're like ages away. They can feel like there's a big barrier. How do we actually break that? How do we actually welcome them? But if we reimagine our homes as places of hospitality or our homes as places of mission, our homes as places of God's kingdom, where actually we have this welcoming, loving nature where we invite believers in, we invite non-believers in, we invite the poor in. We, we, this is an awesome opportunity we have on top of this, like with society changing so much and with technology, uh, these guys talk about just the impact of technology, uh, particularly the internet, um, social media. And again, these, these sort of tools that are supposed to connect people, which do on one level, but they don't offer that depth of connection and often just lead to distraction and often actually get in the way. One thing they said was one of the most countercultural things you can do today is have a conversation with someone and don't check your phone. And that, that's probably more so like for the younger generation, but that's like just to not check your phone when it dings, like that's hard. And so then we're constantly being interrupted. We're constantly being distracted. So actually deep listening, close relationships are hard. That's not easy, but that's what we need. And there's something powerful about that. Same, same like people are connected online, but we need lived communities where people actually dwell together and love each other, and we welcome people into that. On top of that, he talks about another opportunity that we have in the changing culture, in this, in this idea that actually the church and Christians don't have the same place in the West as they used to, as we used to. That increasingly our society is becoming secular, the, the church has been pushed more to the margins, particularly in the media, is not represented very well, or the, the picture most people have, or the sort of the, the thoughts that most people have about Christians, are uh, often not accurate about what Christianity is about, um, and and increasingly, like society's polarized, and then people are arguing, and there's just fighting, and and people just think Christians are angry and just against stuff, and and this this is a real issue, and more and more people will just argue online or will just protest, and what would it look like? They said to instead of that. Go and eat with the people who are different. Welcome the people who object. Um, actually provide places for just discussion and friendship and relationship. Because in a society that people are just arguing but not together, what would it look like to be together? And there's this amazing story of this. Um, there's this lady, her name is Rosaria Butterfield, and she was a, a professor at a university in Canada or America, I think, um, she was very anti-Christian atheist. Um, she's a uh, very left-wing um, lesbian feminist like activist, and she was doing some research against the Bible, trying to prove just how terrible the Bible was. And as a part of that, she wrote an article in a New York newspaper um, just talking about one Christian group and just how terrible it was. And there was a, a man, I'm pretty sure it was a pastor, who saw the article and wrote a response to her. And it was just this very gracious, kind response. And then he invited her over for dinner. 
And she thought to herself, well, I need to do more research about the Bible. It's probably worthwhile talking to someone who knows it better, so I'll go. And she, he welcomed her into her house, and she just felt this sort of sense of hospitality and, and warmth and, and friendship. So she came back, and she just kept coming back, and they developed this friendship. And it, and it was over two years of just generous hospitality and sharing life. Eventually, she became a Christian, and, and there's this massive transformation that happened. And now she's an author, and she, she tells about her journey and her story. And it's just such a good story, because it's just this, this gracious response in, in, a, in a time when it, that's, that's rare, and this just hospitality and this life, and what she was longing for was found. This is how these guys talk about it. They say, through her writing, Rosary's story has reached thousands of people, and it all started with a kind and inquiring spirit and a simple dinner invitation. And it's this idea that the, 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 what we're talking about seems small and insignificant. Inviting someone to dinner, opening our home, eating food together, in the kingdom has the power to be transforming, has the power to do amazing things. This is, so, so in terms of how we could respond, we could, we could potentially, just two ideas, there's probably others as well, that, that we could provide relational depth through hospitality in the church, but also through uh, meeting with others and a positive way forward in this changing culture. Like the, like, it's like, how do we address the issues that, that we're facing in our culture? And, and, and one way could be simply to go this direction of hospitality, sharing life, opening homes. And it may seem small, but there's this quote, I love this. Small is God's way. This is what Sky Jathani says. We've fallen into the conventional thinking that a big mission demands big tactics. But we forget that in the economy of God's kingdom, big does not beget big. It's precisely the opposite. The overwhelming message of Jesus' life and teaching is that small begets big. Consider God's plan to redeem creation, big, is achieved through his incarnation as an impoverished baby, small. Jesus feeds thousands on a hillside, big, with just a few fish and loaves, small. Christ seeks to make disciples of all nations, big. He starts with a handful of fishermen, small. Even Goliath, big, is defeated by David with a few stones, small. And again, this may seem small, and the task may seem big, but in God's economy, in God's kingdom, something small and insignificant can be multiplied when he works in and through it. And, and as we talk about the table and, and hospitality, I suppose today is, is what would it look like to open our homes, to open our hearts, to open, open our whatever we have to people who don't know Jesus, to the lost, to the poor, to the broken, and just meet them where they're at and just build relationship. And not, not like... Not, it's not that we don't say anything about our faith, like that we just share our faith in, in our life, but not in like a pressure way, but just in a sharing life and, and a caring and a loving. And, and what could happen? What could happen if we all did that, if we embraced a journey of, of seeking to do that just with our neighbours, just with people in our street, just with people in our community? Like, like if we were all doing that, that, the sort of shift, the sort of growth, the sort of kingdom that could come could be powerful. Again, small but significant. And, and this is what Jesus has done to us. That we are, we were lost, right? Broken, poor, 
Jesus came from heaven. He was rich, yet he became poor. And he welcomes sinners. He, God is this God of compassion. He's, he's just. He, he, it's not that he condones sin. When Jesus eats with tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners, in no way does he condone their sin, but he loves them. And the same way he's loved us. And while we were yet sinners, he died for us. And each week, and, and really in, in many ways the central aspect of our, our service, what we do is we take communion. And we remember that Jesus broke, his, his body was broken, his blood was shed so that we could enter his kingdom, so we could be free from sin, so that we could be redeemed. And Jesus wants this message to go to the world. He's, he's full of compassion and mercy and grace and he wants people to know him, people, people to come into his kingdom. So as we take communion today, it's an opportunity to, to just remember and, and receive his kingdom and his grace and his forgiveness afresh. But again, to, to receive a challenge to, that we share our lives with others, that we open our doors, we open our homes, we, we, we follow the spirit in what he wants to do to use us to, to change and shift culture and society and people's hearts and lives. a big task that's done by his spirit in us. So we're going to take communion in a minute. I'm going to pray. Um, after that, we'll, we'll take up an offering um, if, if you'd like to give as well. Um, if we could have a few volunteers who can jump up um, today, that'd be really great. And um, so yeah, I'm going to pray and then we'll respond with communion. Father, just, we just ask that we'd be able to see um, you more clearly and your heart. Um, and as we just come to take communion and we, we just remember the cross and just remember what you're like. You're, you're a God of justice and holiness who, who does not tolerate sin and evil and, and hates evil because you love us and, and you're a God of great compassion and mercy and love in that you would take our sin and our evil on yourself and die and bear it. And that you did that and you defeated death and you're alive and, and now you're renewing us and you're renewing this world and your kingdom is coming and there's forgiveness and there's grace and there's mercy. And we just pray, Jesus, would we meet you and, and, and know you today, the freedom the love, the grace you've shown us, would it just flow out to others, we pray? Would you shape us and fill us with your spirit? Would you change our hearts? And would you break down the barriers, God, that are there, uh, that we'd be people who, who go against um, structures and, and, and problems that are evil, that we bring your kingdom of life and love. We just pray this in your name. Amen.